I want to share something with you guys. You can go ahead and flip to the book of Lamentations. You know, how we transition from one season to another, it, it matters a lot. We, of course, are at the end of a doozy of a year, um, quite a unique season, as it were, and, and we're getting ready to, to shift gears. Now, we all know that, I mean, really, I mean, what's, what's a year, really? You know, what's a calendar day? It's, it's all a bit relative, you know, just some arbitrary numbers we, we put on a calendar to, to do with, like, uh, the sun and the moon, and, and so, in a way, it's like, well, it's, you know, nothing's really changing, it's just another day, but at the same time, we all know that, well, there is something significant about, you know, we build rhythms around the calendar year, and there, there's, there's fiscal moments, and there's, there's school, there's, there's politics, there's, there's things that are happening in the world, and when we get towards the end of one year, definitely, there's a sense that, okay, here, here we go. Something's changing now, and it feels like there's perhaps opportunities um, to, to make changes, to, to begin building uh, new momentum, to, uh, I don't know, to, to renew commitments. And, and there is that sense of like something is definitely changing. There is a transition from one season to another about to happen, and how we do that, our transitions really, really matter. Change is a big deal in life. And as we're processing through change, we can do it in a way that's healthy, that actually maximizes the opportunities that come with change, or we can transition in a way that's, that's not healthy. And we can really set ourselves up to just um, carry on old habits or exasperate the pain of one season as we sort of drag it into another. So I, wanna, I want us to talk about that. How do we transition? 2020, it's been a year of, well, it's been a year, let's just say that. It's been a year of great loss. I don't know of anyone, honestly, if I, if I were to stand here and think hard for 20 minutes, I don't think I could think of a single person that hasn't suffered some kind of real loss this year. For some, it's been the loss of loved ones. I lost two grandparents this year. My mom's parents both died. Very sad. These, these were, I mean, I love all four of my grandparents, but, but these were the grandparents that I spent Christmas with every year. It was in their home that we opened gifts and that I remember sort of forming those, those childhood memories. And they both passed this year. My grandfather just two weeks ago. I miss him a lot. Some of us have suffered the, um, not loss, but the, the sense of disappointment. I know I've spoken with many of you in this room that you've not necessarily lost loved ones, but you've experienced real difficult feelings of deep disappointment. Disappointment with friends. Um, disappointment with your church, disappointment with, with me, yeah, disappointment with God, disappointment with yourself, 
anger. You've, you've felt the difficulty, the pain of 2020. Loss of jobs, that's a hard one. Going for months on end without being employed, that will take its toll. Emotionally, you begin to wonder, what am I even doing with my life? It can get very hard, depressing even, to go that long without some sort of a steady, I don't know, sense of purpose, income, employment. It's difficult. Deep wounds have been ripped open this year. Relationships have been severed. Uh, for some, it feels almost like the loss of a year. I've had moments. I thought to myself, man, I, I feel like I just kind of lost a year of my life. I had, I had big dreams. I had plans for 2020. This was the year that as a church, we were going to just, man, this was going to be the best yet. And I don't mean to go on and on about this old building that God has blessed with us with but it was a big deal as a church family to purchase this this place and to kind of feel that sense of like man God's calling us to a particular area for a particular time in this this historic place and all of the history and and here we are and then bam like that like what do we do now how's this going to work out and it can almost feel like man I've, what happened to the year what happened? How are you doing with the loss of 2020 or your whatever loss or pain you've experienced this year? Are you grieving well? Are you, are you grieving? Are you, are you actually grieving the pain or the loss or the disappointment that you've experienced this year? Because I think it's really, really important. Some of us, um, I think, grieve quite naturally. We were driving home uh, from California uh, yesterday. We, we made a quick trip down, down to see my family for Christmas. Um, I felt like we just needed to be there for my mom. and So I saw my brother and his family and my sister. And it was all very COVID-y and, and distanced and, and everything. But we did that. And uh, my parents finally sold the house that they built and have been living in for the last 30 years. This gorgeous country home, a couple of acres out in the countryside. They had a cow that my dad loves. I don't know why. <laughs> no, no offense if you're a cow lover. Cows are gross. <laughs> they're like giant pigs, giant hairy pigs. Anyway, they're selling the house, they're, and the cow's going with the house. And, uh, and you can feel the sense of loss. In the house, we were driving home, my little girl Evie, uh, about every 20 minutes or so, you could hear her just quietly sobbing in the back seat. And I'd say, what's, what's going on? Are you okay, princess? And she said, I'm just thinking about grandma. I miss them. I miss the house. And she was grieving. And I remember thinking, it breaks my heart, but how healthy what a healthy way to, to transition into out of one season and into the next. As a grown man, I, sometimes I wish I, I just I could cry a little, little more readily. It'd be good, be healthy. How are you grieving? Are you grieving? It's important because unattended grief, it will lead to misdirected 
uh, disdain, aggression. If we don't grieve well, if we don't want to address the pain, the anger, the disappointment, whatever it is that, that, that's hurt us or the hurt that we've experienced in a year, if we leave it unattended, it won't just magically dissipate. We'll take it with us into the next year and then we'll misdirect it in all sorts of uh, unfortunate, unhelpful, unhealthy, unloving ways. Unattended grief will lead to misdirected aggression. And we see that happen in life all the time. Take it from our childhood into our marriage, into one relationship, into another, from one church, from one disappointment into the next situation. And if we don't grieve well, we just take that pain and then we end up channeling it onto another person or a situation relationship and so it is important we must learn to grieve well we must be patient with each other as well as we all grieve in different ways and on different schedules we're not all like my wonderful little seven-year-old nine-year-old daughter man she's growing up fast who just does it by the time we are home we're done we're good we've grieved we're moving on some of us take a little bit longer some of us have a much more difficult time of kind of getting in touch with our own pain and it will come out in some pretty messy, unfortunate ways. We need to be patient with each other. Gracious towards one another. The Bible leads us to grieve well. To lament. In the midst of overwhelming disappointment and seemingly senseless pain. The first time I came across the, um, just the gift of, of the scripture's leading through lament was uh, my first funeral that I, uh, I did as a, a pastor. This was seven years ago. I was still living in the UK with my wife and family. And uh, I'll never forget it. My, my good friend, uh, Dre, I've talked about him before. He used to lead worship for us. Nigerian fellow, super talented guy, loves Jesus. But his mother died. His mom died on the same day Judah was born. I'll never forget it, July 31st. And of course invited me to come be with him and his family at the funeral and uh, I was walking through the park it was the first week of August seven years ago and we were walking through this beautiful park just towards the beginning of autumn in London and I was with my friend Jillo my kids God's godmother and uh, we were talking about life and just a little melancholy and she said Simon have you ever uh, done or officiated a funeral before and I said nope I haven't, hadn't, haven't really even thought about it, to be honest with you. I've done a few weddings, but I've not quite done that job yet as a pastor. And I kind of, I didn't laugh, but I, I shrugged it off. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'd do. I'd, I'd probably have a little while to figure it out because everyone in our congregation is super young. Like no one's, no one's passed yet. And um, so we walk up to this little chapel in the middle of this beautiful park. And uh, I find my buddy Dre, and he has this look of slight panic on his face, and he beckons me over and as I get near to him he says Simon the, uh, the the vicar hasn't shown up no one knows where he is can you fill in and so I had to get quickly anointed and 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 do that and it's not even funny really I mean it was I guess kind of in retrospect but I got up there this little chapel's packed full of Nigerians 
um, I felt very awkward, to say the very, very least. Something about cultures. You know, one of the reasons why I love to dream about being a diverse church family, I love culture. I love language. I, lo- I love the way people are in different parts of the world. And when we come together, it's just like, it's just, it, it just makes me think, oh, maybe this is, this helps me to get closer to the heart of God. Because he seems to just really love that just the, the beauty in, in the diversity of, of people in the world. And so here I am, this one white guy in a packed chapel full of Nigerian, a Nigerian family, essentially. And they're all, I could just tell they're looking at me like, who the heck is this kid? <laughs> who, who stuck this guy up front? And so I did my best to say some words that I, I hoped comfort and uh and then i see a a very well-dressed elderly gentleman eventually emerge towards the back of the chapel it was the vicar he showed up and uh, so we did a little transition i handed off and he began to lead us in a time of of deeply meaningful lament and he began to use the scriptures as a type of liturgy to, to to lead this morning family through a time of godly lament as they grieve the loss together the bible helps us to grieve let's look at lamentations chapter three i want to read this to you guys this is this is heavy 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 and i'll explain the context of this in just a moment but let me just read the words Lamentations 3, starting in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has salted me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes my soul is bereft of peace i've forgotten what happiness is so i say my endurance has perished so has my hope from the lord the prophet jeremiah writing in the wake of arguably the worst year ever in the life of God's people. It's around the 6th century BC. 
Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, has finally been taken over, sacked, conquered, taken into exile by the Babylonians. The beloved temple has been burned to the ground, desiccated, desecrated and burned to the ground. Finally taken off. And he's not somehow trying to theologize his way out of the situation. He's being brutally, shockingly honest about how he has assessed what's happened. The fact is that what's taken place is, in fact, God's judgment. The very people that God came for and rescued out of slavery in Egypt and led through the wilderness and, and put in, in, a, in a place where they could thrive and, and flourish and enjoy the life that he saved them for have turned against him. And the Bible describes it like, a, like, like, like an adulterous affair. And God is heartbroken, he's devastated, and even full of wrath. And if you've ever experienced bet betrayal, that wouldn't be hard to imagine. And so God actually keeps his word to his people and judges them severely. If we go on reading, it's, it, it will bring you to tears. And these words, these words have been given to us, given to them, given to us, that we might, in a moment like this perhaps, where we've experienced some sense of loss, some kind of pain, we've been given words to help us process through these emotions that we're feeling, even when perhaps it seems as if we're on the receiving end of God's judgment itself. Now, my point isn't to say that somehow whatever you've experienced this year is the result of your own rebellion. That's obviously not what I'm saying. Simply the context of this passage. But even if that were the case, gosh, how many times might I look back at my life and think, man, the, the, the pain that I'm suffering would seem as if my heavenly father is disciplining me quite severely because of my own sin. Whatever the case, these are words of deep, painful lament. They're honest. I feel feel like God won't even listen to my prayers. That's, that's some proper grief. That's some proper grief. That's deep, honest, healthy grief. Tell us how you really feel. Don't, you, don't, you don't need to theologize it. You don't need to somehow, you know, pretend as if, no, I have hope. I feel hope because I'm a Christian and, I, and, I, and I'm at church, so I have to somehow keep up appearances and pretend. No, you don't. Not if you've been reading your Bible lately. Tell us how you really feel. 
Don't hold back. Let's grieve. Let's grieve. But lamenting alone won't ultimately get us to a place of wholeness. This is really important. I've, 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 I've done my best to make the point that grieving is important. But to grieve deeply and honestly, it's crucial. But lamenting alone doesn't bring us to a place of, of wholeness. Of vigor of, or passion to get back up, to love again, to keep on fighting. Which is why biblical grieving is always, it always couples lamentation with anticipation. Hurt with hope. This is crucial. This is absolutely crucial. The world is great at raging in the midst of pain. Okay, it's not hard to look and find a place where we can all sort of deconstruct everything together to a place of utter fatalism. That's available anywhere. Everywhere you look. But to grieve with a sense of hope. To lament while anticipating that God isn't done. That the story of God's faithfulness is, yeah, but God. Yeah, that happened. That's awful. That's real. Let's not, let's not airbrush it away. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's call it what it is. But God isn't done yet. Let's lament. Yes. But lament with hope. Hurt with hope. Grieve as long as you need to, as hard as you've got to, but do it anticipating that God's not done yet. Biblical grieving always couples lamentation with anticipation. Hoping, lament of life lost, undergirded by the anticipation of God's faithfulness. He will set things right. You know, Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet, as he's called, who wrote Lamentations, also probably wrote uh, some of Israel's most prolific history books. First and Second Kings, specifically. You know how the book of Second Kings ends? It's basically, it's the whole story of Israel and Judah... And all of their ups and downs and, and, and they had a couple good years and a whole lot of bad years. And kings come and went and some of them were faithful and some of them loved God and others of them didn't. And by the end of their history, by the end of the chronology, we find Judah, the, the remnant, the last little bit of Israel, finally being deported. Finally being taken out of the promised land. Some of them head back for Egypt. The king, the final, the last king during that era actually makes a run for and is slayed in the plains of Jericho. Of all places, the place where God's people experienced their first victory. Now the last king of Judah is slain in the very field where it all began. And they're taken off into Babylon. But let me read this to you. This is so epic. This is the God of all hope. It says in the very end of 2 Kings, and in the, th the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, see the last king was slain in the 
fields of Jericho. The king before him, his father, was actually taken away in exile. In the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, what a name. Evil, that's his, that's his proper name. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at evil Merodach's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. The end. That's the end of their history. <laughs> Lament, yes. But hurt and hope. God's not done yet. The story of the gospel is that God conquers death. That even when it seems like everything around you is starting to decay, it's all been torn down. Any sane person would assess the situation and say, you're crazy to hope. And God's people would say, call me crazy. This is the God I know. This is the God who's rescued me. This is the God who's never done. This is the God, but God is not finished yet. So guys... Take as long as you need to to grieve. Be honest about your disappointments this year. Have the conversations. Don't hold back. Try not to lash out. Make sure that your pain is being dealt with so you don't misdirect it and allow it to turn into resentment, disdain towards others. Take as long as you need, but remember as you're lamenting, do it in hope. Do it in hope. Which of course begs the question... In who or what are you hoping lately? How, how is your hope? You know, they say, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Is that true? I don't know. Sometimes you hear these pithy sayings. And it kind of sounds true until you, like, try to live it out. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes what doesn't kill you can make you stronger. Like your immune system. Sure. I'll go with that. Or sometimes, if it hurts long enough, it just gets infected and starts to like affect other parts of the body. Sometimes, if a wound hurts long enough, it can kill you. And that's what hurting without hope is. Just because you're hurting and surviving doesn't mean you're getting better. You might feel a bit more tougher, but it could just be because your heart is becoming calloused. That's no way to live. That's hurting without hoping. Hurting without hoping only leads to a fatalistic tyranny. Lamentation without anticipation will only ever lead to a kind of fatalistic tyranny. Eventually, your heart will get hard. And if you're only enduring the pain, eventually you'll get to a place where you will demand that someone pays. A fatalistic tyranny. 
a pain that manifests in rage and resentment and lashing out, a pain that demands recompense, revenge. And you will lash out either at others or yourself. We can become our own tyrant. And we can decide that, well, if only I had done better. And we can decide to judge ourselves, even take our own lives. And that's happened a lot this year. Someone must die. God would say, yeah, you're right. That's exactly where hopelessness leads you. Someone must die. Now give me your pain. Come to me. You don't need to get tougher. That's not the answer. You need to surrender. Allow yourself to be weak. And let me be strong. Someone has to die. Come to me. I've died for you. I've taken that pain into my own body. That evil. That disappointment. That betrayal. That sin. That lie. Give it to me. Otherwise you'll end up dying yourself. Or you'll demand it from someone else. God says, come to me. Come to me. Where is the hope in your story? Where do you find hope lately? Is there hope in humanity? Something, something, one thing I'm grateful about for 2020, it's like, it's like the contrast has just been cranked up to 11. It's been painful. It's been like, ah, oh, gosh, this is hard. <laughs> so someone turned down the contrast. But there's been moments along the way where I've caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and thought, man, what, where does my hope lie right now? Because I am struggling. I'm struggling to know how to process some of the pain I'm feeling in a way that does feel anchored in a real hope. Where does your hope come from? It's, if it's in humanity, good luck. If it's in politics, good luck. If it's in yourself, good luck. Where, is, where does your hope lie? Is it in your employment? Is it in your good looks? Is, is it in your... What's it in? Because I'm here to remind you and myself and us today that if your hope is in anything or anyone else other than Jesus himself, you are missing out. That's all I'm going to say. There's a lot of things or people that you can put your hope in. A lot. But none of them are better than Jesus. Jesus wins. He conquered death. He laid down his own life for us his hope is a substantial hope you know what i mean by that it's not just a wishful kind of optimism like he just promised it's going to work out so i'm hoping he's not lying or deluded or something no 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 he promised to overcome this world and he did it he faced death down conquered it and came back to life and then promised i will return to finish what i've started you can put your hope in me because I'm the only one that overcame 
death, that's not just an apologetic. That's not just some sort of like fancy, I don't know, fairy tale logic to like get someone to believe. That's, that's, that's real hope. That's real hope that God doesn't just say, trust the principles, do them well enough, and maybe it'll work out. God gives us truth. He gives us right thinking. He gives us principles to apply. Please hear me right. But at the end of the day, real hope doesn't lie in your ability or mine to apply the principles to life. It lies in the one who conquered death, who came back to life, who said, trust me, follow me, be weak so that my strength can be made perfect in you. I'm getting a little excited. I'm preaching to myself. I'll tell you guys right now, one of the, the great luxuries of being a preacher, you get to come up here and just like preach your heart out to yourself until you're reminded that there is a hope available. And there's nothing Nothing that happened in 2020 that can change the fact that our God is still faithful. He is still faithful. He is still faithful. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My favorite psalm, Psalm 42. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. Sometimes you just got to tell your soul. Soul, get with it. I may not feel it. Today, this week, but dang it, hope. Hope, Jesus is alive. We must remember to keep hoping, even when we don't necessarily always feel like it. And finally, can I invite the worship team to come back up, please? Here's, here's where we're going to end. Lamentation, anticipation, and thirdly, celebration. Oh, this is where it gets good. We must remember to keep celebrating as well. We are, um, one theologian put it this way, actually I put it this way. I'm sure someone will say this someday because it sounds super cool. We are God's, es <laughs> sorry, let me get it right. We are God's eschatological party people. You know what that means? We are God's eschatological party people. Eschatology is the, the, the theological word for the study of end times. Right? We are God's eschatological party people. Even when everything's falling apart around us, even when we're sitting in the darkness, locked up in some dingy dungeon cell of life, we can spontaneously break out in celebration because we know how the story ends. Because we know that there's been a, a feast prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. This is how God rolls. Even when everything's falling apart, he says, let me do this. 
Let me try this one on. Check this out. I'm going to get you out of prison, and I'm going to prepare a meal for you at Evil Meridoc's table. How do you like that? And I'm going to prepare a feast for you in heaven. And he says, when the lost son came home, the father said, prepare the feast. My lost son has been found. He was dead and now he's alive. He's home. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. We are God's eschatological party people. Man, we need some party poppers right now. We're going to have some next week. Every once in a while, God, okay, can we stand together, please? This is so important. This is good preaching. I'll just, just to let you guys know. Guys, every once in a while, man, we've been grieving. Oh, it's exhausting. You know, grieving is hard work. To like process emotional pain, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And to keep holding, hold, holding, hoping, to keep hoping is no trite task. Like, this is hard work. Lamenting, hoping. Every once in a while, we gotta just stop, step back, and remember the joy of our salvation. Guys, we've been welcomed home. Oh, the world is still full of work to do. And I preached about that a few weeks ago. Sometimes we just gotta come up for air. Say, guys, it's time to party. Let's not forget, like, we are, we're blessed. We're saved, we're chosen, we're adopted. And even when life is hard, nothing changes that fact. We are God's eschatological party people. Whoop, whoop. Let's worship our king. Let's celebrate life. It's not over. Greater things to come. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing a final song. And then after that, I'm going to ask Brother David to come up. I want us to pray for you. We're about to send off. He's a military man with the Air Force. And he's uh, getting ready to head out to South Korea. Um, and I was made aware of this. And uh, I think it's an opportunity for us to, to lay hands on our brother, pray for him, send him out as family. You guys with me? All right, we'll do that after we worship.